Good Physics Day, everyone. It's been a few weeks since my last episode. You know, the new semester started and, well, there goes time. Yeah, but I think my students are now sort of all settled in. They're figuring out the schedule. I'm figuring out the schedule. I'm going to poke my head up above water again, and I think I can do one of these episodes. I was trying to think, why didn't this happen last semester? And I remembered, oh, right, I didn't start releasing episodes until November, but I started working on them in September. So I had a couple of months of head start. No head start anymore. Now we're just rolling. So, well, thank you for coming back. It's good to see you again, or whatever it is that I, I get to do with you. You get to hear me. I don't get to see you. Send me an email sometime. Say hi. Let me know how things are going, what episodes you've liked, and what ideas you have. It'd be great to hear from you. Let's talk about video analysis. But not just recording your own video and uploading it to Tracker or Logger Pro. Let's talk about a professional library of over 500 videos or a community library of over 7,000 videos. Today I'm speaking with Peter Bohachik, high school physics teacher and co-founder of Pivot Interactives. Pivot Interactives are complete learning modules for students that are available online. Many of them center on interactive video, which is a video where students can observe an event and then engage with the video by changing variables and taking measurements. These can be a great teaching tool during a regular school year, but during a global pandemic, they stand out as a way to provide remote labs in a meaningful and valuable way. Learn all about how they work, the best ways to use them in the classroom, and the research that supports their efficacy. Welcome to Physics Alive. I'm Brad Moser, and I want to help fellow educators spark new life into the physics classroom. Each episode, I'll draw inspiration from the teachers, researchers, students, and professionals who explore innovative learning, motivate new curricula, apply physics in their careers, and encourage an inclusive and healthy classroom environment. Uh, so today I'm talking with Peter Bohacic, co-founder of Pivot Interactives. He's been in the physics classroom since 2000 and has a love of discovering ways that technology can help students learn science. Peter began using interactive video with his own students in 2010, and the results were so promising he was compelled to further explore and expand the capability of these videos. Uh, so Peter, welcome to Physics Alive, and thank you so much for taking some time to speak with me today. Oh, you're welcome, Brad. Thank you. This is a great opportunity. I appreciate it. Let's start with the basics. These Pivot Interactives have been around for a couple of years, so maybe many folks have heard of them, but I'm sure there's still plenty who haven't. So what, what are these? Sure. Well, Pivot Interactives are, are complete learning modules for students that are available online, and uh, they center around some sort of an interactive learning component. Many of them center around interactive video. So what, what is an interactive video? Is a, It's video. It's not, a, it's not a lecture or a demonstration. It's a video where students are looking at an event, a phenomena. And they, in all of our interactive videos, the students can measure something. Maybe there's a, an overlaid ruler that the students can use or a stopwatch or a, a pH strip, and they can use the color of a solution to see what the pH is. But they're always engaging with the content, measuring it in some way. Uh, and then another feature of our interactive video is that students can change something. So maybe they can change the concentration of a chemical or the angle of a ramp or the frequency of a wave, and it'll load a new video in response to what the student chooses. And then they can compare and say, well, how did the change that I just made affect uh, whatever it was that I was, was measuring? So interactive learning, and then it's it's got a wrapper around it of questions for the students and 
automatic feedback that helps them get on the right track and data uh, gathering and data analysis tools, and then teacher tools too. So the teachers can grade it and view what the student's work has done. So I'd say in summary, this kind of all-encompassing learning module, but with this interactive component at the center. Yeah, that sounds awesome. Could you walk us through an example of one of your favorites? Uh, I mean, what what is the video show? What what are you controlling, and what experiments could be performed? Yeah, sure. That's a I, I love talking about that. Uh, you know, when we started off, we we didn't realize what were the broad range of things we can do with interactive video. So I'll give you an interesting example: uh, Coulomb's law. It's a no- notoriously difficult experiment to do in the lab, and you wouldn't normally think that video analysis would be a way to do it. But here's what we set up: we have a, a lab table with a very sensitive electronic balance sitting on the lab table, and then a short pedestal. And on top of the pedestal, on top of the scale, is a conducting sphere, a metal sphere. And then suspended above that is another conducting sphere. And then what the students can choose in the control panel is what kind of electric charge, positive or negative, is applied to each of those spheres. And they can choose any combination that they want. And as soon as they press play, they'll see the charge applied to the video, and immediately the scale will show a reading either positive or negative, depending whether it's an attractive force or a repulsive force. So right away, they're seeing a measurement of this electrostatic force. But then the upper sphere is lowered down and the students can take an interactive ruler and place it to measure the separation distance and they'll see the scale reading change. So they can go down to our interactive data table and start writing what's the force and what's the separation distance. And then they can use our graphing tools to say, what's this mathematical pattern? And uh, in a very short time, they can discover for themselves that there's this interesting inverse squared relationship. And the reason I like that one so much is because all of my teaching before then, I started teaching the first day of Coulomb's Law by writing F equals KQQ divided by R squared. And it was really unsatisfying in a way because the students were like, well, where did that come from? And so now we start, don't talk anything about Coulomb's Law, nothing about force. We, they start off exploring this phenomena for themselves discovering that there's an inverse squared, and then we go to the equation. And I, I really like this because, so I've, I've been part of the the modeling instruction community, and I know Pivot is beginning to work with them as well. And I, I may ask about that a little bit later. Um, but in, in modeling, we try to start with an experiment. And for Coulomb's Law, the experiment has always been, we had done it in the past, was to have, uh, say, maybe one balloon hanging from the ceiling, and you charge it up by rubbing it in your hair, and then we bring another balloon close by. There's, there's some variations of that, but it's always you you push an object up on a pendulum, and now all of a sudden you're dealing with angles and tangents, and uh, to a physicist, that makes perfect sense, and it's kind of a nice and elegant experiment, but really Coulomb's law, we want to think of it at first as just, it's a one-dimensional system. Let's bring right. two objects closer together, and then with an experiment like that, you don't get lost in some of the, the trigonometry. So I, I really... I really like that. That's, that's a great experiment, which maybe not everybody has equipment for. Exactly right. Yeah, it's one of, definitely one of my favorites. So I remember getting into video analysis around 2010 when I started full-time teaching after graduate school. And these videos were usually centered on kinematics. So tumble buggies, carts on ramps, balls bouncing, all great stuff. Uh, then importing the video into Logger Pro or uh, Tracker nowadays, I, I know is, is a popular one to use as well. And I found a lot of value in this analysis, but the recordings could be time-consuming. Are these the types of activities you started with too? Is it something like this that led you from these activities to developing a fuller set of interactive videos? Yes, that's exactly right. I think we started along the same path. And when I was early in my teaching, I was so grateful to the people who pioneered uh, these different video analysis techniques because it, it, it seemed so much more relevant and engaging to students 
than using verbal descriptions of motion or limiting ourselves to things that we could actually set up in the classroom. Like being able to analyze video just opened up so many other possibilities. But I think like you, we found obstacles too. If the students are recording them, it takes time. And the, and the skills that they are developing and doing that weren't really central to what, what I was hoping the students were going to learn from my class. And then also, even once we had the video, the logistics of having Logger Pro on a machine and, and getting the video onto that. And then uh, I would usually give them instructions in written form. And, and then they have some of their answers on the in, on, in, in writing and some on the data table. And where it really was tricky was when it came to giving students feedback. If they're going to turn that graph into me, and then if I want them, like, let's say they put it on the wrong axis, and you just want to make a simple change, the process of feedback and having the students revise their work was, was clunky. And so I found that over time, I was doing less and less video analysis. And that's exactly right. Our, our goal in starting these kinds of interactive videos was to maximize that cool physics part that you were talking about and minimize the overhead, the not related to physics difficulties of recording videos and assessing student work. So this is a subscription service, I believe. And I imagine these uh, this must be selling like hotcakes during the, the COVID crisis. It's something that is very fortunate that they they are around right now as, as we go through this very challenging time. So what are some of the most common ways that teachers are using them um, as complete remote lab curriculum, as group problem solving? I imagine there must be many approaches. Yeah, that's a very good question. Uh, you know, Matt and I started this project. Matt Vonk, a, a professor at, at University of Wisconsin River Falls, is, was originally my co research collaborator and now my my business partner. We started this ten years before the this this crisis, and we never were planning on on being having it be the solution to pandemic inspired remote learning. Uh, the goal was was more to unsilo, right? So we, we have so much, it's like, are you doing lecture or are you doing lab? And we wanted to say, why should there be that distinction? Looking at real phenomena, analyzing real phenomena should take place at any part, probably in all parts of the, of the learning cycle. And so that's how we've always used them. And I think that's been somewhat of the learning curve for other instructors to say, and I think you alluded it to with modeling, to all modelers, that's really common that you start with uh, observing phenomena. Um, but Pivot and Directors is meant to do that too. So if I can, I'll give another another example to kind of like put endpoints on on uh, how Pivot and Directors can be used. So for Newton's Third Law, we have a video where students observe two gliders, low friction gliders on a track that are moving towards each other. And they each glider has a hoop spring, a piece of like flexible steel hoop on the front of it. And when the gliders collide, those hoops deform. And in our video, they can drag a measurement tool out there and watch in slow motion as the two hoops deform, and they can measure the relative amount. And so the students look and they say, oh, the, the, the deformation of the two hoops is, is symmetrical. So if one hoop you know, compresses two centimeters, the other hoop compresses two centimeters. That's not too surprising to them. But then there's a control panel where they can say, well, but what if I made the one of them heavier and one of them lighter? And what if one was moving and one was stationary? So they can choose these different combinations. And the, the, the question prompt says, find one where that deformation is not symmetrical. And they're like, okay, great. Well, if I make this one heavy and this one's not moving and it smashes into that, for sure, that's going to be. And they're really surprised to find out that there isn't a combination that will cause this, the hoop deformation to be asymmetrical. It's always symmetrical. 
So, you know, that's, you know, you said like, is that a lab? Is that a problem solving? It's, it's none. It's, it's a way to get the students to whet their appetite so that they come back to you, the instructor and say, that is not what I expected. What's going on there. Right. And what a great place for the teacher to step in and say, all right, let's talk about how forces and interactions work. Oh, I, I love that. Yeah. I, I've never been totally satisfied with Newton's third law demonstrations, uh, you know, other than maybe having two students push scales together and you can read those values. But otherwise, it's, you know, trying to push four sensors together and students don't really get that. I think not a kinesthetic sense for it, but seeing yes. that hoop deformation, that's that's really cool. I like that. Yeah, it's inspired by a very, very bright student who at the end of the year, I asked them if that scenario happened and one was heavy and, and the other was light and one was stationary and one was moving fast, would Newton's third law still apply? And he said, no, in that case, it wouldn't apply. And I thought, okay, we need to make this video then, right? Because <laughs> we need students to know that <laughs> this still applies. So if we were in a non-pandemic year, I'd probably uh, direct some of my questions in different ways, but you know, it's on everybody's mind right now. Sure. So we're, we're going to talk a little bit about remote construction. Sure. I know you said you were developing these year, 10 years ago when you weren't thinking about that, but now we have to think about it. So we'll think about it a little. Um, so a couple of my next questions are going to be, I, I know we can say both and that it's like, it's not about making a decision between this or this, you can do both. But for argument's sake, we'll, we'll talk about, it's like, what if you have to make a decision? So for instance, FET interactive simulations are extraordinarily popular. And I know they can do a fine job as a remote lab substitute, allowing students to adjust parameters and run a variety of experiments in a single simulation. Plus, they're free. So why might a teacher decide to go with pivot interactives? What additional benefit do, do these interactive video offer over just the simulations? Yeah, that's a very timely question. We recently started a partnership with FET. So now uh, FET simulations are available inside Pivot Interactives in kind of a unique way that I can, I can tell you about. But I, I want to address the first thing that early on, we, we, Matt and I said the same thing, like, why would you use a, a Pivot Interactives instead of a FET? And the, the reasons we found, and these have been reported back to us by students and other instructors that use Pivot Interactives, that there is something important about seeing real events, especially when the results are going to uh, not be what students expect. So when you do a lab where they're changing the mass on, on, a, uh, on a pendulum and they're finding that the period of the pendulum doesn't change, they're surprised by that. They think that the mass is going to change it. And there's always the concern that if it's a simulation, they're going to say, well, it would have changed in real life, but the simulation is showing a simplified view of the world. But when you show them an interactive video and they can measure to very high time precision and they see, no, the period really is the same, even though I increase the mass by a factor of 10, uh, it, it, it seems like there is uh, more of a chance that a student will say, well, I guess my preconception was wrong, not that this uh, simulation is wrong. So, but on the other hand, you can't see electrons or atoms or, you know, you're looking at gas laws and you want to see how, what hap what does it look like if you have more gas particles or if you raise the temperature? There's things that simulations just do better than video, especially particle level visualizations. So we say both. So why use it in pivot interactives though? Same reason as video analysis. If you, a FET simulation by itself is not a learning experience. You have to have a worksheet and then you have to have a way to assess the students and give them feedback. Uh, and that can take time because you have to turn the worksheet in. But by embedding it in Pivot Interactives, that all becomes automated. The student can be getting automatic feedback as they go. The instructor can assess at any point in the learning process. And the instructor can either use our 
questions that are a wrapper around the sim or make their own. So we, yeah, both use them both. One of the reasons I'd love the physics community is we have so many amazing resources. And I love the fact that we, we get to have these conversations about, it's like, well, there's so many great things I can do. Uh, which one should I try? Yeah. So another piece is hands-on learning is, is so critical. And although this is more challenging to pull off if students have to do labs at home, the IO lab device, for instance, is a wonderful little sensor that lets you measure force, acceleration, velocity, magnetic fields, rotation, light, sound, temperature, pressure, voltage. Uh, it's amazing how, how much they can measure. So let's imagine that the start of a new semester or, or school year is a few weeks away. A teacher who knows that a class will be entirely remote for the foreseeable future is deciding between, you know, do I want to use a physical sensor such as the IO lab or do I want to go with Pivot Interactives? I don't have the budget to do both. Right. Um, so what would you say to help that teacher make a decision that would be best for them? Yeah, that, that's an interesting question. One of, the, one of the questions I have about it is that not enough resources to do both. So we have really worked to make Pivot Interactives affordable. Uh, we've really tried to keep the price as low as possible. And Pivot Interactives is, is for college students, it's $10 per student per semester. And so um, I, I don't know the exact price of IOLab, but I believe it's quite a bit more than that. And so Again, I would kind of encourage, well, do you really have to choose both? I mean, if one of them is, uh, you know, it, it could Pivot Interactives actually be affordable enough to fit in, even if you were using something like IOLab. But it brings up the question then, well, do I want to have two platforms? Today, you're going to go and use the IOLab. Tomorrow, you're going to use Pivot Interactives. That's kind of a pain for the teacher and for the students. So um, here's our solution. This is something that along with FET, we have two main places that we are innovating in Pivot Interactives now, simulations and hands-on learning. So what we're working on now, and this is not yet out, but it's close enough that I feel comfortable talking about it on here, is why not use Pivot Interactives as an electronic lab notebook, regardless of what the source of data is. So if the students are uh, doing something where they're measuring with a ruler and stopwatch, you can build a Pivot Interactives activity that instructs the students on what to do, has a data table to collect their data, has data analysis tools right there. They're writing their procedure and observation. So use it for, for non-sensor-based hands-on learning. But then the new thing that we've come up with is why not use it with sensors as well? So we're building connections so that you can connect any Bluetooth sensor directly into Pivot Interactives. So now you can say, all right, I have a motion sensor and the students are in a hands-on lab and it says in Pivot Interactives, set the ramp up like this set the sampling rate to this, click record. But now instead of the data going into their into some program that's outside, it records right into Pivot Interactives, shares instantly with their lab partners, shares with their instructor. And so it centralizes, again, that's sort of that theme of keeping everything in, in, in one place. So it's not that I don't think that the IOLab is a great idea. I don't actually know all that much about it. But we, our goal is to make all of that available in Pivot Interactives. That is awesome. That is a really great idea because certainly the, the idea between jumping between different softwares is uh, annoying because you're, 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 you're having to learn multiple things to do. And now students have that many more, um, more junctions they have to try to navigate. So right. if we can keep it simpler for, for them and, and converse, you know, I've had conversations in department meetings about, you know, possibilities of going to all electronic, uh, lab notebooks. So the fact that that could be built into something like this is, is great. So yeah, I, I love hearing about all the things that, that you're doing over there. This is great. 
Uh, let's move away from pandemic inspired decisions. So <laughs> at some point, we're all going to go back and return to in-person instruction all the time. And I just felt a little flutter of excitement just yeah. thinking about that. Uh, so teachers are returning to school with shelves stocked full of lab equipment. I, for instance, fully intend to have students exploring physical labs. Right. Um, where might Pivot Interactives fit into my curriculum at this point? And I think you kind of got to that a yeah. little bit, especially saying that, you know, $10 per semester for a student, you know, that's cheaper by far than a textbook. Uh, so, but, so, but maybe you want to add more to this. Sure. Well, but I think that's exactly right. So that what, what we're, what we're seeing, what our goal is to provide for, for teachers is a, a way to have all of their interactive learning uh, centralized. Uh, so whether it's a, 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 a FET or an interactive video that is from our library or one that the students are recording, uh, or if it's hands-on data like meter, meter stick and stopwatch, or sensor, all of it uh, is, it, you use Pivot Interactives as the electronic uh, platform for, for all of those. And so we really, our goal is to make a tool that sort of, whatever is your, for this subject, I'm gonna use uh, a, a simulation, here they're gonna use a meter stick and a thermometer, and here we're gonna use interactive video that they, it has that common theme that the instructions and the analysis all are, are on Pivot Interactives we really feel like that's going to be hugely valuable in, in facilitating interactive learning that you don't have to be searching around for, well, today we're on fat and then we're on IO lab all in one place. Oh, that's great. Okay. I've had you on the defensive long enough. Uh, let's talk about education research. So you and Matt Bonko, you've mentioned, uh, you've received a grant in 2013 from the NSF to pursue the development of these video interactives and to test their efficacy. So some of those results, I believe, are summarized in an article you co-authored in Physics Review PER titled Developing Model Making and Model Breaking Skills Using Direct Measurement Video-Based Activities. What are some of the key conclusions from that study? Sure. Yeah, that's a great question. So Matt and I, because we're scientists and teachers, um, and we, we got really enthusiastic about interactive video, but we really wanted to know, like, is this just something that we're enthusiastic, we're doing it because we like it, or is this actually helping student learning? And so we that with that uh, NSF grant we we got and we continue to do to this day efficacy studies. We want to know whether students are learning and what they're learning. Uh, so that was the first one. It's a was 160 student five instructor semester long uh, controlled study, and uh, we had two treatments. One was uh, teaching students how to um, look at a phenomena and develop a mathematical model. So I think the one that we used was the relationship between the period of a mechanical wave and the wavelength. And so students could vary the period and measure the wavelength and discover what the relationship is. And the other skill was model breaking. Uh, sorry, that first one was called, we called it model making. I guess that's a common expression for that. Model breaking is the idea that you give students a known model, say conservation of momentum, and then give them a scenario and say, does conservation of momentum work here? Does it apply? Like, can you make accurate predictions using this, this model? And the, the example, one of the examples we gave was a collision where uh, a weight is dropped on top of a moving cart in such a way that they slide with respect to each other as the two approach the same speed. We call it a, a messy collision. And we say, like, would conservation momentum work in a situation like this? So divide the students into two random groups. Each group was given training on only one of those treatments. And at the end of the semester, both groups were tested on both skills. And 
I should say that the format for this class was a studio physics format, very highly interactive, lots of hands-on, lots of apparatus-based labs. And there was some concern amongst the instructors in the beginning that, well, you're not going to see a difference in this class because the students are learning those skills so much anyway. But we did. And it was very um, satisfying to Matt and I to know that even in this kind of optimal situation, that interactive video was teaching them more than they were learning. By more, I mean in addition to what they were learning even in a rigorous hands-on environment. So we needed that and we still need to know that like to make sure that we're not just doing this for to you know to our enjoyment or yours but that it's actually going to make your students learn these skills uh, better than they would without it. This is a piece that I, I come back to in, in many of my conversations, which is because I, I am fully in support of enjoyment of learning as well. And so if you can get more enjoyment, already and and equal gains from what was before sure. already i consider that a win i would do the more fun thing but then on top of that to see that there are our gains in learning is uh it's super satisfying yeah thanks and that's it's very important to us we continue to work with other researchers like eugenia etkina and david brooks we're working on a, on a five institution efficacy study that we're just getting some results very similar to the results in in the original paper but much more detail about specifically what what are strengths and weaknesses, which are almost more interesting to me? What are the weaknesses of interactive video and what can we do to continue to make it uh, better and better? That research part is, is key to our to the whole project. So in 2016, then, you and Matt decided to commercialize your venture so that you could further develop these videos as a teaching tool for all areas of science. So at this point now, there are videos available in physics, chemistry, biology. This is a lot of video creation and testing for two individuals. You obviously need to assemble a crack team of content creators. So you turn to high school students. Please tell us more. How, how did this evolve? What are the contributions that they are making? Yeah, sure. I, I will. A couple of things. So the, the commercialize, commercialization was a, was a difficult decision for Matt and I. We, we did not get into this because we were motivated by entrepreneurship. We're teachers and we were motivated by having our students learn. But it was only when we began to see the limitation of, of uh, research funding um, to develop this. Uh, we, we saw more and more opportunity mm -hmm. to apply this to broader areas and develop these tools. And it just was, became clear that NSF was not alone was not going to be a sufficient source of funding. So we reluctantly turned to a commercial model and priced as low as we can justify and keeping our, you know, to keep it a sustainable venture. Uh, because we've all seen examples of really great technology that gets developed using grant funding, and the grant funding goes away, and the technology goes away, and so all of a sudden this thing that you used to rely on your teaching is you know is gone. We really didn't want that to happen. Uh, so it was uh, working with the people at Vernier, Dave and Christine Vernier in particular, who encouraged us to say, you can have a commercial venture where the goal of the venture is to help teaching. Like that's not incons incompatible. That's a, and, and we looked at their company and said, sure enough, that is what they've done. We, we are modeling ourselves in that, uh, in that vision. But yes, students, we did. In the early days, especially in physics, we had independent study classes at my school where a lot of the videos were done with students. What's happened over time is as our level of videography has become more sophisticated, it's often beyond what a high school student to do. So now what we have is uh, years and years worth of our students who've now made their way through college and they're now working as part or full-time employees for our company. So it's still ex-students, but at this point, at least half of the team is 
made up of, of previous students of Matt's and mine. In some cases, they've gone on and gotten degrees in the field and then come back to our company to work in that, uh, in that field. So uh, ex-students and tons of teachers, too. That makes up the majority of our team. Two of the key members, one of our, who uh, is one of the heads of our software development, was in my AP physics class and, and uh, decided to go to uh, study computer science. And as, like literally the day he got his degree, he started working full time uh, for our company. And our first research scientist, who was a, is a biochemistry or excuse me, biostatistics major uh, from St. Olaf College nearby, same thing, graduated, immediately started working for our, for our company. Are you still in the classroom uh, or, or is this kind of your full time venture now? Uh, I am in the classroom. I teach one one section, uh, and I it's hard to teach and run this project at the same time. But it's critical because mm-hmm. I am seeing firsthand the challenges of pandemic learning, and we have made so many changes to what we're doing based on our own observations of of classroom teaching. I think if you're going to be solving teacher problems, it's invaluable. It, to, the teacher experience is critical, and it. it Experiencing the problems myself has really inspired me to to push our project to make it so that it works for all the teachers out there. So I think I'm convinced. Um, <laughs> how how can a teacher give how can a teacher give Pivot Interactives a try? Is there a trial option that we can take a look? Sure. Yeah, we have a 30 day free trial that's full featured. You can do everything: create classes, assign it to students, you have full access to the whole library, and then. Uh, for 60 days after that, you still have instructor access, so you can keep exploring the library or uh, creating your own activities or modifying them and sort of getting ready. We're assuming that after you try it, you'll be getting ready to use it as a paid subscription. Uh, and you can, yeah, if you go to our website, uh, then there's an instructor sign up button right on the top, and that gets you started with a 30-day free trial. All right, and I'll I'll definitely be including some links in my in my show notes Great. to to the website so folks can go and, and check that out. So, what about resources? I know you briefly mentioned um, some of those, but uh, you know, as you are very well aware, we teachers are incredibly busy and barely have time to eat our lunch some days. Uh, I wouldn't have the bandwidth right now to develop activities and labs on my own. So, wh- what do the resources look like that are available to get me started, and how easy is it for me to edit and adapt these for what right. I want to do? That's great. Yeah. It, 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 and I just want to circle back to that idea that how busy teachers are. I feel like even in the time of my teaching career, that's it, that problem has gotten worse, not better. That we have more load that's put on us, more students, more different classes that we're trying to prepare for, more standards we're trying to meet. And I think that in so many cases, what teachers want to do, the kind of teacher they want to be, and the experiences that they want to give to their students compared to what they're able to with the resources that they have, that gap is just growing. And that is where Pivot Interactives is aiming. We want to fill that gap and say, we, we want teachers to be able to do those things that they themselves already want to do, but are having a hard time getting the time and energy to put that together. So that's our goal. Um, but right, there are f- about 500 pre-made activities that we have that we've created uh, across different science areas. But what's Actually, way cooler than that is we made a library where teachers can contribute ones that they've worked on to back to other users. That one has 7,000 activities on it. So they've vastly outstripped oh, our ability to create. And they are so creative. There are all kinds of just things that we never could have imagined ourselves. And so start off with ours. And if there's nothing that you want that we don't have what you want, go to the community library. And, and then if there's nothing that you want there, then 
And only then would you want to say, okay, maybe I should build my own. <laughs> but chances are you'll find something amongst the 7,500 activities that are on there. Great. It reminds me a lot of, of with FET, when you go to look at their activities, there are so many teacher resources that are available right. as well. So That's there's right. a lot of community support. And I love that. Okay. So I've done my trial. Sounds great. I think I'm ready to use it for a semester for a full year, maybe from now until the end of time or, you know, something in between. Yeah. So what are, what are some of the options you, you mentioned to say $10 per semester per student? Uh, are, are there other options as well that a teacher might take advantage of? Yeah. So it's, it's, uh, it's high school. We have different pricing for high school and college. It's $5 per high school student, $10 per college level student. And there are different pricing, different purchase options. You can, you can uh, have your institution buy what we call seats, subscriptions for individual students, and then your students just sign up for free uh, if your institution or your department purchases them. You can also just create a class that the students pay. So you can create a class for free and your students, when they click on your first assignment, will be prompted to put in a, a credit card and they'll be charged the same $10. Uh, or we can sell uh, your bookstore, we can sell them single student activation codes. And so then when your students are prompted to pay with a credit card, they can also pay instead with a, a bookstore code. So we try to make it lots of flexible options, um, but we keep the price the same uh, no matter how, how the purchase is done. It's always $10 per student. Yeah. And just, and just kind of thinking about some of the different ways that, that you might use this. Um, I'm involved with a physics for life sciences community. And, you know, I've often looked into trying to bring some more biology type of labs into the physics yes. classroom, which of course, as a, as a physicist, uh, you know, I'm, I'm out of my element. Uh, you know, I'm trying to figure these things out. I don't even have the equipment. Do I really want to buy it? So, you know, just one, you know, I was just looking a little bit at some of the, the biology examples and, and thinking, well, this is great. If I wanted to do something with osmosis, it's like there, there's a lab that's available. I don't have to create it myself. That's that should right. be a perfect opportunity for me to do that. Um, uh, electrophoresis. I don't know if I saw that one, but that's something that I'd love to see too. Yeah. That's in our, that's in our development lab right now. It's not out. It's, we don't have the video ready, but that's, uh, I'd say four weeks we'll have the electrophoresis, uh, will be in the library. What's one key takeaway, Peter, that you really want to make sure our listeners get from everything that you shared today. And then can you give us the best place that we might connect with you or the pivot team? Sure. Well, I want to, first of all, say, these are great questions. You really, you've really probed deeply into the parts of pivot interactives that are the most interesting to us and most motivating, uh, for our team. So those are, those are really good, uh, good areas to explore. I, I think the takeaway is that we are, is, I kind of alluded to it before, we, we see pre-pandemic, current pandemic and post-pandemic, this gap between what teachers want to do and what they can do. And we, we want people to view Pivot Interactives as we are a bunch of teachers and we have used NSF funding and, and then the continued investment that we've made and the subscription dollars that we get to just keep building this into a tool that helps teachers. That where we can just continue to say, you know, we we listen intensely to what our teacher users are saying they want and we build it. So that's the key thing. Like Matt and I are, are in, in our hearts, in our spirits. We are teachers and our content development team, our support team all have education as their what motivates them. Uh, so th that's sort of the spirit of our of our team, I would say, is that trying to help teachers uh, if you want to get a hold of us, the best way is to go to our website and there's a chat with us bubble in the bottom right. And I, I, that's the best way because there's almost always somebody on there. And so if you have a quick question, they can probably answer it for you right then. And if not, they can 
they can get your question to whoever is the best person. If you want to reach me, that's probably the best way to get to me or Matt to ask questions about the research or give suggestions. That chat bubble is the one-stop shop. And and this spirit that you describe of your venture is it's it really comes through loud and clear in speaking with you. It's it's really been such a pleasure to hear about your initiatives and how much you care about uh, about the teaching world, about helping students and and doing and doing the best we can for them. So uh, so thank you for everything that you and the Pivot team are are doing, and it's been a real pleasure to talk with you today. Oh, Brad, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure as well. I really appreciate the, the opportunity and your questions and your and your shared commitment to to education. So thanks very much. I hope this episode didn't come off as an advertisement for Pivot, because that's not what I intended at all. Truthfully, I started on the opposite end of the spectrum. I'd heard about them, and I was a little skeptical. Or maybe not skeptical, but critical. The questions I asked were probes to see how these interactive videos and the Pivot mission stood up. I dug into every crack that I could find. Why would I want to pay for these, or ask my students to pay for these? And as you heard from the interview, I was impressed. Peter, Matthew, and the rest of the team at Pivot are doing some awesome, valuable work, and I'm so happy to have learned more. I hope you found this episode valuable and that you find it helpful to learn more about the many amazing tools in the physics community. You can find them on the web at pivotinteractives.com or through the Rainier website. I've provided links to both in my show notes, plus a link to the article that Matthew and Peter co-authored titled Developing Model-Making and Model-Breaking Skills Using Direct Measurement Video-Based Activities. You can find the show notes either on your podcast app or by checking out physicsalive.com slash pivot. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast so that you can stay up to date with each episode as it comes out. You can also find updates at Physics Alive on Twitter and Physics Alive page on Facebook. Thanks again for listening in, and I hope you've been inspired to try something new. Your homework assignment? Check out some of the sample videos on the Pivot Interactive's website. Please join me again for the next episode of Physics Alive. Until then... Good luck with all of the big and little pivots you are making in your teaching due to pandemic times, and be well.